Welcome to episode 48 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And today I'm joined by fellow bookseller Chris Jensen. Chris and I will be talking about food, food writing, and what we are reading right now. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind listeners, um, if you would take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes, um, you can do that through the iTunes app or the podcast app on your phone, or you can follow the link in the show notes. Um, every rating and review just helps spread the word about the bookshelf a little bit more and lets people know um, what is happening both in the shop and online. So um, if you would go to iTunes and rank and review us, we would really appreciate it. Okay. Hi, Chris. Hello. We have totally mixed things up because I am kind of sort of on your front porch today. That's true. You're at my dining room table. <laughs> um, this is the podcast that I can say with the utmost confidence is the one I have prepared most for. <laughs> because um, tell what you did today, Chris. <laughs> what did today, you do? Today, I cooked food from Matt Moore's A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen, which you can find on the shelves in the bookshelf. Um, and I cooked lunch. And I ate it. <laughs> and it didn't take me that long either. It was fun. Um, so that is kind of the basis for this episode. We knew we wanted to do something Thanksgiving-y. Um, hard to believe, but Thanksgiving is next week, and we'll be taking the week off the podcast. So we thought we would go ahead and talk about food and food writing, um, maybe talk about our favorite cookbooks. Um, Chris and I, I think, have some different perspectives um, on food and food writing, I think, because I mostly just read about it and then don't do anything with it. But I think Chris actually does something with it, which is good. Sometimes. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and chat about, well, let's talk about the cookbooks and yeah. you cooked from recipes from this particular cookbook. Um, let's talk about, do people use cookbooks anymore? I'm not really even sure. <laughs> like, do people um, Pinterest this? <laughs> with, well, that's the thing with like Pinterest and with the internet, with Tumblr, with Reddit even. There's no real reason to have a cookbook because you can look up anything on the internet. However, I really like them. I like them too, but I mostly, there, okay, there are like two cookbooks that I legitimately use. One is the infamous Better Homes and Gardens mm -hmm. Red Classic. and White Checked Cookbook, and one is um, the Can't Cookbook by Jessica Seinfeld, oh, which right. we're going to be restocking soon because I really like it for like a basic cookbook. And when I was very first married, I was very inspired by Julia and Julia, and so I um, decided to cook my way through Jamie Oliver's cookbook. I love that. It was really good. <laughs> it was a great year. Poor Jordan never got another year like it. <laughs> um, but it was really fun, and I enjoyed it. I actually really liked Jamie Oliver, and I, his recipes were delicious, and they looked complicated, but they actually weren't complicated at all. So I use cookbooks like that, but then at the same time, cookbooks to me are almost like a scrapbook. So my dad is a really good cook, and he was always taking notes in his cookbooks. And we talked before we started recording a little bit about your own notes in cookbooks. Um, that I, I don't know. What cookbook was that? It was Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which is okay. the basis for Julia and Julia, yeah. right? Um, and maybe I was inspired by that, too, even though I've not actually seen that movie because I've heard it's half of a good movie. It and is. If you watch the Julia parts, it's excellent, and the Julie parts are not. Correct. Um, <laughs> that is accurate. There's actually a cut of the movie somewhere on the internet that's just the Julia parts, and it's cut oh, down to like lovely. a 45-minute biopic about Julia Child. That's what we should do for Stanley Tucci <laughs> Day on Thursday. Yes, it is. Because, yeah, I love the Julia parts of that movie. There's this scene where she publishes, she's published her book, her cookbook, and she... 
and her husband are on the front porch, and it is like I cry <laughs> every time because I just want that to be me so badly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that but the Julie parts are kind of grating, and yeah. the book is very. I don't actually recommend the book. I'm a bookseller that's going to tell you don't get that Up book. The book is, Julie, yeah, Julie. yeah, not. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan. Um, but we were flipping through this cookbook. Right. Um, I was looking through my copy just a few minutes ago, and I found a note that I had written to myself a year and a half ago saying, like, I'm going to take notes in this book so that if somebody finds this book long after I am dead, they will know how I cooked and what I thought about these recipes. And it turns out I did not care for the recipes <laughs> that I found in Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I am not a French-trained chef. What? Um, yeah, it turns out. <laughs> Um, and French-style cooking is not something that I'm particularly good at. I think I'm a little better with the southern style of cooking. Which isn't that shocking, and, right? right? But because I'm not from the south, I would never claim to be a southern gentleman, as Matt Moore does, but my grandmother is from Arkansas, and she really taught me how to cook, and I grew mm-hmm. up on her recipes. And maybe that's what it is about cookbooks. Cookbooks kind of feel like someone else's collection of recipes that you've inherited. That's like why it feels like a scrapbook right? to me. Like the so one cookbook that I do I do frequently use it and this to me is a whole separate genre is the church cookbook. Mm-hmm. Oh those are great. Okay they're and they really are great mm-hmm. because the women what women have done, mostly women, mm-hmm. they, some men, but these recipes are edited, I think, based on how they, so they have taken the recipe that they knew, tweaked it and made it probably perfect for all those church potlucks and then <laughs> put it in this recipe book or this cookbook. Um, so, you know, the recipes are going to be tried and true. And my particular church cookbook, um, the church that I grew up going to in Tallahassee, came out in 1986, which is the year I was born. Perfect. And so my mom got all the women who compiled it to write me notes, and she gave it to me at my first wedding shower. Best gift. So meaningful. (laughs) I'll cry just talking about it. Um, But I do use that cookbook. But part of the reason I use it, and I will never... This actually just happened about a year ago. I was cooking a recipe out of it, and then saw a note from a woman who meant a lot to me growing up, but she's, she passed away. She was much older. And I just sat, like, I, whatever I was making was cooking in the oven, and I just sat in my living room chair and cried because, mm. but it was so sentimental. Right. And so to me, cookbooks are actually far more sentimental than other books. For And I don't know why that is, but, but I too, you know, my dad took notes in his cookbook, so I take notes in mine. I don't use mine like he uses his, but um, when I do use them, I always say, oh, this recipe was great mm-hmm. or like when I cooked dinner for the staff the other night I made a note in the cookbook made this October 2015 for my staff like because I want to know what did I right what did I use what this, was this for? for yeah so but I don't know if we're getting away from that because of the internet but maybe maybe we are I wonder because I don't print my recipes that I get from the internet one because I don't own a printer <laughs> um but I also don't have any of my grandmother's recipes. Um, my mom has all of them, and I could get them if I wanted to. But I know that the chocolate chip cookie recipe she always used was the one on the back of the chocolate chips. Yes, um, yes. That's okay. So, like, I know that that's the best one. Right. But I know where to get it. Right. Um, so cookbooks things, are kind yeah. of, I don't know, cookbooks are, I don't know if they're a thing of the past, but they certainly are. They certainly have a sentimental element. But you picked a Southern Gentleman's Kitchen cookbook off the bookshelf. and I did. What do you think? I like it. Um, it is a weird collection of, of recipes that I like and recipes that I would never make. Um, 
like I said, I would never consider myself a Southern gentleman. I'm not from the South, but I do like Southern food and Southern cooking. The problem I found with this one is that so many of the recipes just use so much mayonnaise. Oh. Which I do not like. Yeah. Um, and I don't like cooking with it. Um, and I don't think I've ever cooked with mayonnaise. Something like a third of the recipes in here have mayonnaise in them, which is not Matt Moore's fault. Right. You know, that's just a style of Southern cooking. Right. But what's really interesting is his grandparents were from nearby Valdosta. And he talks in his introduction of, like, getting local produce from South Georgia and how important that is to him in his cooking. Um, and I was like, oh, I didn't even realize how local this book actually is. I didn't either. You just, really is. Yeah, you just informed um, me about something I didn't know. But it's been a hot seller, yeah. I think, among, among our cookbooks. Um, so I wanted to check it out. Yeah, and it's definitely got that. We talked, too, about this southern... I don't know. Southern cookbooks are really popular, and mm-hmm. maybe it may just be where we're from, but I also am biased, and I do think the South has really notoriously good food. Mm-hmm. It's often really heavy and, yeah. and, and not always good for you, but we do have a reputation in the South of, um, of good cooks and of meaningful meals. Um, but, yeah, I think Southern, I don't know, Southern cooking is a whole different beast. Um, because there are so many different styles of cooking by regions, even within the South. And that's one thing Matt Moore does really well in here is he will talk about how, you know, he grew up in South Georgia, but lived in Tennessee and his grandparents, other grandparents were from Mississippi and how he got these different regions in here and got to represent their styles of cooking within the book. They're all, because the South is so different, Southern literature is the same way, Mm -hmm. right? Or Southern, I was having a conversation with someone um, about Southern accents are very different based on where you're from. So the the region is important. Um, What about, let's move into food writing. So cookbooks are kind of their own thing. Maybe they're becoming a little more sentimental than they are practical. Um, Where do you stand or what do you think about food literature, I guess. Food writing. The one that I've read the most recently was Domesticity by Bob Shikochis. Okay. And he... Oh, I remember. He was the food writer, not critic, but food writer for GQ through a lot of the 80s and 90s. And this book is a collection of his essays on food. And what makes his writing so different is that they're really about each little essay, and they're only three, four pages long, is really about his relationship with his wife. They all have these nice little, sometimes sentimental, sometimes really biting stories that have a recipe attached to them. It's like, well, this is what was going on when I decided to make this recipe for my wife. Or this is what was going on when my wife made this recipe for me, Mm -hmm. and here's the recipe, and here's how I like to do it. Um, And I wasn't sure what to think about it when I picked up the book, because the cover is not super appropriate um, (laughs) in the second edition. But I saw a copy of the first edition, and it was... Very plain. <laughs> and I liked that a lot better. Wish I had the first edition. Not something I can really put out on coffee table. But the book itself is kind of wonderful. That really actually, sweet. what you just described is the kind of food writing I like. Mm-hmm. So um, we talked, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, so Chris... I just ate his cooking, and so he's an excellent cook, and he was always bringing leftovers to the bookshelf for his lunch, and I was always so jealous, like, who cooks for you? And then I realized he cooked for himself, (laughs) and way to go, but I don't. I like cooking for people, Um, and unfortunately, I don't just mean the two people that live in my house. I mean, I like cooking for parties and for entertaining purposes, Um, but I'm 
I don't love cooking for just um, me and for Jordan. Uh, so what I wind up doing is you mentioned cookbooks as aspirational. Yeah. And I totally think you're spot on there. And I also love, I love food writing. So for a person that doesn't cook too often, I really do love f- books about food. So I love essay collections mm-hmm. that are maybe like you were describing a an essay followed by a recipe I love those and yeah. I often do wind up cooking the recipe um, actually one of the first ones I read I've mentioned it on the podcast before is called A Homemade Life by Molly Weisenberg um, she also wrote a memoir called Delancey which is about um, her and her husband opening uh, or she and her husband opening a restaurant out in Seattle, mm-hmm. like a pizza restaurant, um, I think is what it started as, and it's kind of become something else. But um, she and her husband are really talented chefs, and they started this restaurant. So Delancey is about that journey. And then A Homemade Life is just about um, her experience with food and, and her relationship with her dad. And gosh, I just loved that book. And <laughs> I remember I made uh, one of the essays is about a chocolate cake. And I read that essay. I was like, I'm making this chocolate cake. So I love kind of hearing the stories behind the recipes, I think. Um, I just love books about food. So I brought with me today, and you laugh when I brought it out of the bag because the title perhaps doesn't sound maybe like something Annie would pick up, um, but it's called The Hidden Art of Homemaking by Edith Schaefer. Um, but it is, I mean, parts of it are super cheesy. The cover alone kind of hints to that. Um, but it's really about um, we are created, we were created beings, and so therefore we are creative beings. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about there's each chapter is about kind of a different aspect of quote unquote homemaking. Um, but one of the chapters is about food. And I remember reading it and really thinking to myself, oh, I need to take cooking more seriously because she kind of approaches it as it's a deeper work. Anyway, so I highlight, I have notes just like you do all through here of you know, what I need to be, what I needed to be doing and, and why cooking was important and why food is important. Um, so I love the hidden art of homemaking. I love a homemade life in Delancey. And then probably the book that I, I started stocking it at the store and I've only sold a few copies, but it is called the supper of the lamb. And I do reference it in the podcast quite a bit because it's very quotable. (laughs) Um, but it's by Robert Farrar Capone. And um, Ruth Reichel wrote the introduction, and the introduction, I never read the introductions, but I like Ruth Reichel, so I read that. Um, And I just highlighted all through here, my brother and I read this book at the same time. My brother is a great cook. And um, it's got recipes, but it's it's just so good. I'm going to read a couple quotes just before we move on. It's so good. Um, So he talks about the act of cooking. he says, I despise recipes that promise results without work or success without technique. Technique must be acquired, and with technique, a love of the very process of cooking. No artist can work simply for results. He must also like the work of getting them. Oh, I like that. Right? You would like this book. Yeah, because um, I do like the work. <laughs> yes, and well, and it was a lot. I underlined that because I remember thinking, oh, if I just could think of cooking as work, I'm good at work. <laughs> like, I'm good at working. And uh, I don't think of it as work because I'm not good at working. <laughs> and so, well, and so for you, you might not need to, but I thought, oh, I just need to realize that this is just something I work, and, and if I could just enjoy the process of working, if I could just enjoy the process, then then I could get to enjoy the results. Um, gosh, and then he talks a lot about cooking for people. Um And he says, feed them, yes, but do not cook for them. Cook for yourself. What they need most of all in this veil of sorrows is the sight of men who relish reality. 
Oh Ooh. gosh, it's just, just so good. I need to reread it. I love it. Um, but that is the supper of the lamb, and that is an example of the kind of food writing that I really enjoy. Um, what any others that come to your mind? I have several that I've picked up from various places that I've inherited from people. A couple by Anthony Bourdain. I've got a kitchen memoir called Heat. I've got one called The United States for Rugla, but I have not actually read all of any of them. Yeah. Um, so you're more. Are you more of a cookbook guy than a food reading, a food writing I guy? I think so, and I'd like to do more food writing, food reading. Food reading of the food writing. <laughs> reading of the food writing. <laughs> I feel like I watch a lot of Food Network. Yeah. And that's some kind Maybe of... Maybe that's where you get... Some kind of food writing. Yeah. No, I do. It's just lived out on the screen. Right. I, because I, I remember as a kid, I loved... Um, gosh, and I don't know why. I was in high school, middle school, high school, but I loved Nigella Bites, Nigella oh, Lawson. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, I don't even know why. I wasn't really super into cooking. I did cook some in high school. Yeah, it goes back to I just love these stories, and I think that's why I love food essays, um, because I just love reading about the thought process behind I don't know. It's like watching somebody create art. Yeah. One of the things I, I watched this show, the next food network star, Mm -hmm. um, every season I used to live tweet it. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) I made a lot of weird internet friends through live tweeting food network star. I don't know how that happened, but it did. (laughs) And I love it because who live tweets food network? This guy. Um, but one of the things they're always telling the contestants on there is make sure you have a story to mm-hmm. go with every dish. It oh. makes the audience a lot more interested. It makes it a lot more personable. But one of the things that I did really like about A Southern Gentleman's Kitchen was every recipe has some kind of story right. at the top. And it's very short. It's usually a paragraph. Some of them, if they're family recipes, have a little tag at the bottom saying, this is a family recipe from my great aunt or from my Which I love. And they're I don't know so if that's great. the Southerner in me or what, but I love that part. And I think two of the things that I made today were specifically family recipes. The carrots that I made. Oh my gosh. Um, they were so good. They were, they were Jack Daniels glazed carrots. We should try to put a link to the recipe because that is a Thanksgiving worthy. That dish. is a Thanksgiving recipe yeah. for sure. It's, yeah. it's butter and whiskey and um, brown sugar. And all these carrots are what just cooking those things <laughs> slowly. It's so good. I don't even like carrots. And these were like, I think I told you they were like eating dessert. They were like candy. So they were delicious. Yeah. Um, we should try to find a digital version of that to link to or tell people to come check out the book. Yes, at the bookshelf because it is, uh, yeah, it's definitely worthy of your Thanksgiving table. Um, a couple of other more, uh, uh, other food writing books that have come out recently. So first of all, I actually, I was in Athens last week and I went, I was able to go to Avid Bookshop, which I'll put a link to their shop in the show notes. Um, they're another great indie um, bookstore locally owned in Athens, Georgia. Um, but they had on display this book, Stories from the Kitchen, mm-hmm. which was in every man's library. And I'm actually actually wondering if there are other oh. compilations like stories from something else. I don't know if that would be from the living room or what, but uh, <laughs> they just had compiled all of these essays or stories that pertain to food and the kitchen in this one a really beautiful book. It would actually make a lovely hostess gift if you're going out of town for Thanksgiving. Um, but we are going to stock it at the bookshelf um, because that's what I do now is I visit independent bookstores and get ideas <laughs> instead of browsing like I used to. Um, but stories from the kitchen looked great because it looked like it really tied in some classic tales about food. And if you think about it, so much just regular everyday literature 
lots of scenes, t- meaningful scenes take place over food or food in the kitchen. food is so important. Yeah, like... Eating I, is something everyone does. Yes. It's, food is universal. And we all know what those things mean. Mm-hmm. I, um, In fact, just for some reason, the one that comes to mind is in the children's book, Little Women. Louisa May Alcott writes, and I, um, this to me is the epitome of Amy, and this is why I hate Amy and I don't even like people named Amy at first. I have to really get over <laughs> it. But um, Amy uh, Amy March buys a bunch of limes and that's a really big deal to her. It's like a delicacy. Like it's expensive and they don't really have money for it but she buys all of these limes to be popular in her class. And I'll never forget that. And um, for some reason that sticks out to me and I think it's because Food is a visual too, so like you can immediately picture what those limes look like, and it's winter in Massachusetts or wherever they are, and I'm just picturing these green limes um, set against the snow at the schoolhouse or whatever. I don't know. So they're just really visual stories. Yeah, I have a weird food memory from Little Women as well. I was in the play when I was in high school. I played Laurie. Of course you did. Because of course I did. Oh my gosh! Um, Mind blown. Right? You, them. No. Okay, um, we'll talk But anyway, th- there's a scene, and I think it's one of Laurie's, like, it, his first or second scene, I think second scene, people are going ice skating, and there's yes. a basket of kittens. Yes. I might be conflating scenes here, but there's also a dessert called a blancmange, and I had no idea what that was. Right. I'm not I sure that I do. I don't know what it is now. I think it's some kind of, like, fruit and custard kind of thing. Okay. I want to call it a tart. I don't think it's a tart. Maybe I'm using food words wrong. <laughs> um, but anyway, I remember having that word in the script and having no idea what it was. Right. And I never bothered to look it up because... Oh, now we're going to have to. Yeah, now, no, now we need to know. I'm going to look it up right now <laughs> as we talk because I want to know. So, okay, then the other book, speaking of Little Women, so the uh, book that just came out recently is called Voracious. Beautiful um, hardback book. It's not a picture book, and yet it does have beautiful illustrations inside. It is this collection of essays followed by recipes, but the essays are inspired by books this author has loved. So it is, I think even the subtitle is A Hungry Reader Cooks Her Way Through Great Books. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I already told Jordan... People have stopped buying me books because I own a bookstore, which yeah. is really slightly devastating to me. And I already told Jordan, I was like, please get me this book for Christmas. So Jordan, if you're listening, I really do mean that I want one of these. I want this book for Christmas. But she like she cooks something out of um, boxcar children. Oh, like okay. I think she cooks a chocolate pudding. And so the essay is about chocolate pudding and how it relates um, to the boxcar children and then how that relates to her and when she first encountered the boxcar children and then the recipe. Or there's a recipe from Little House on the Prairie and where she first encountered Laura Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie. And so it is It is such a beautiful book, too. It's got little illustrations sprinkled throughout, but it's not a cookbook, really, and it's not a children's book. It's more like a memoir, um, but it's gorgeous. I'll put a link in the show notes, and um, we do have several copies at the store because I just think it'd be it'd be a great gift for the holidays, too. I did look up what a blancmange is. Oh, good. Um, it is a sweet dessert commonly made with milk or cream and sugar, thickened with gelatin, cornstarch, or Irish moss, and often flavored with almonds. So it's some kind of pudding-like substance that is chilled in a mold. I don't so know how I between feel about that. I mean, it is a very old world kind of I was about to say, I don't know what kind of dessert I'm going to think that that is. Um, One that I'm not going to eat. But I guess I never really thought about the etymology of it. Blancmange is white thing that you eat. um, Right. In French. (laughs) So So that's pretty much what that sounds like. That is exactly what it is. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but I love that we both had food imagery from Little from Women. Little but Women. I think that's just, that is what food writing does, right? It's why I love it. So we've talked about cookbooks. We've talked about um, some of our favorite food writing. And now I guess we'll move into the question I ask everybody when they're on the podcast. Um, what are you reading right now? I just finished a book, which I actually mentioned last time I was on the podcast before I had read it. It's called Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. It, I don't, it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it, honestly. Okay. We'll say it begins in what is probably a boarding school. Okay. Um, following around these children, and it follows them over 20 years or so. Oh. Um, but they're all set, or it's set in England in the 1990s, but an alternate 1990s. Okay. Where there's something going on. And it feels very sinister. It's very quietly disturbing. Is how Emily McKenna um, described it. And I think she's dead on with that. Um, okay, so now I'm going to have to read it. Yeah. It sounds really good. So there's something going on in the background, and they tell you exactly what it is around 85 pages in, but you're still not really sure, even though they've told you. Okay. Um, so is this a suspense really book or just... No. Just, okay. That's what's great about it. It is... It's very sci-fi. It's a sci-fi premise, but it's not about the technology. It's not about the premise. It's about these people. Okay. Um, it's really about their relationships and how human they are. Okay. that that Because that's... Okay, that's the only sci-fi I can really do. Right. So. <laughs> no, it's okay. really good. It transcends genre. Okay, great. All right, I'm going to have to pick that up. So I just finished The Clasp by Sloane Crosley. Um, she wrote a collection of essays called um, I Wish or I was told there'd be cake, um, which I loved the title and then wound up, unfortunately, not loving the essays as much as I thought I would or the short stories. I think they were essays. I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but The Clasp is her first book of fiction, and I thought it was fantastic. It's not super literary, um, but it's also not fluff. Like, you're reading it and you're enjoying it, but there's also some really meaningful thoughts that she sticks in there. So it is basically three friends from college. I think probably I like it because they're all entering their 30s mm-hmm. and they're um, kind of meeting up for the first time and their lives have gone interesting different directions and each chapter is kind of told from their perspective which sometimes I find distracting but I did not find it distracting in this particular book and believe it or not there is woven into this story a uh, missing necklace and France and the story moves into some um some interesting parts of Paris. And so anyway, it's it's very unique. I really enjoyed it. Great fiction. And then last night I started, after I finished the clasp, I started this book called You Don't Have to Like Me um, <laughs> by Alita Nugent. Um, I have never read her before, um, but I get the sense she is a humor writer of some kind that I just am not familiar with. Um, but this is a collection of essays. I think the subtitle is On Growing Up speaking out and finding feminism. So right up my alley. (laughs) So uh, I'm really excited about it. I started it last night and I really do like it so far. Um, So that is what I'm reading right now. I think that is about it for this episode of the podcast. Um, We hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving. We will try to stick a recipe for those carrots uh, into the show notes. Um, We also will have links to some of these other cookbooks and books that we mentioned. Uh, Thanks, Chris, both for lunch and for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. You can find full episodes of From the Front Porch on iTunes. You can also find them on our store website at www.bookshelfthomasville.com. 
You can also follow along the daily happenings at the shop at Bookshelf Teville on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.